four years ago, we said, well, how can I change this mentality? How can I get these people to be committed, to want to do better, to want to care about their kids' progress and results and actually seeing things, not just, okay, here's my nine to six, I'm out the door. And I realized it can't, like I was just saying, it can't be just through financial reward because I can't give them raises every year. So I wanted to see how to work. So I said, well, what if we had a, what I noticed most preschools, one, two, three, four year olds or, you know, pre-K don't have is let's set up like a, kind of like a pedagogy. Let's have a, a, a theory. Let's have a method. Let's have a philosophy for us and for our teachers that we could say, this is us. Welcome back to another episode of the Inside Japan podcast. I'm Charlie, and as usual, this podcast is sponsored by jobsinjapan.com, the best place on the internet to find your next job in Japan. On this episode, I'm speaking with Ken Gale, head of school for No Borders International Schools in Nagoya, where I used to live. In this episode, we talk about the struggles of keeping good teachers, about having a real pedagogy as an English school as opposed to just being edutainment, and about the future of education in Japan. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Ken, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure, Charlie. Thank you for having me. So I'm really excited to talk to you about your school. You are the head of school of No Borders International School in Tokai, and there's um, six schools that you're running now. So I will, first of all, I want to know, what was it like starting a school like that in the area that you're starting? Was it something that was really difficult? Did you do it all yourself, or did you have a lot of help along the way? No, actually... When I, I took it over, I didn't actually start it up. No Borders started about 25 years ago. Oh, wow. In downtown Nagoya as an adult English school. And it had done that for, you know, 10, 15 years, was very successful. Uh, the owner at that time realized there was a, uh, a growing demand, even though it was very slow 15 years ago, for the international English schools and preschool markets there you know, before the parents took their kids into the Hoiklands and Yochians, they realized they, you know, they're one, two, three years old sitting at home. It's a good time to get some English. So we started uh, two uh, small international preschools. And when I joined, that's where we were at. We had still the adult division, which was very minor at that time. We kind of switched focus. And we had two international preschool locations when I when I came on board with the team about 10, 11 years ago now. Wow. Um, so what was the most difficult thing when you started that and when you started working on that? What was the most difficult thing? to? Was it like getting new students or was it hiring the right kind of people? Like what was the biggest challenge that you had at the beginning? I think at that time it was a uncharted territory for Japanese families so we had the students they were coming the trial lessons were we weren't doing hardly any advertising you know it was all word of mouth or just our basic locations which weren't great but they were strategically placed in like good areas at least that you know the demographics were proper for what we what you needed um so we really didn't focus on you know advertising or or anything like that our website was very basic at the time no direct marketing uh no landing pages, nothing like that. Um, so at that time, there was, I believe, a staff of about 10 foreigners uh, working for us and probably 20 Japanese teachers. Uh, we have a, a very common, very 
normal system of a, a Japanese teacher and the English teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they co-teach in the classroom. Right. So that was our mix when I took over. I think the hardest thing at that point was the fact that I had kind of inherited a staff of people that had been there, some of them for a while, some of them not so long, because, you know, like I said, that they had just started the international preschools at that time. Uh, and we were already in the process then of getting the third one up and running. Mm -hmm. So it was, uh, that was probably the most difficult thing. It's challenging to manage, you know, human resources um, and team development and leadership is probably one of the most demanding things I feel, especially for uh, a foreign market overseas. Because we have to deal with people who the turnover rate is high, their experience and background is typically not necessarily English or much less teaching. Mm -hmm. uh, on top of that, <clears throat> a lot of them uh, need extra support. They don't understand the Japanese culture. Japan is as a beautiful and amazing country as it is. Uh, it's very hard to assimilate into it being a foreigner, especially a, a Westerner. Uh, it's not like a lot of other uh, Asian countries. You can just, you know, Thailand or Southeast Asia is very sabai sabai and relaxed. You can just kind of mesh into it. So all those things cause a, a, a sometimes a tense or stressful environment. And now you're going to throw children into it. You know, preschoolers, <laughs> you know, crying, calling for their mom and dad and diapers and all that kind of stuff. So uh, that was the most challenging thing right off the bat. And has proved to continue on, you know, up through today. It's just yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard the same thing from, a, we've had a few other school owners on here, and it seems like a lot of people get into a school, uh, sort of moving from being a teacher into a school environment, um, and they want to, um, they want to grow a business, they want to improve their school, but the biggest difficulty is have, trying to find really good teachers. Um, so on jobs in Japan, we have a, a section for like certified teachers where we can kind of push more qualified people. Um, but I think the overwhelming majority of foreigners in Japan, maybe don't even, you know, they don't have a TEFL certificate, you know, they don't have any kind of qualifications in English at all. Um, mm -hmm. they just come from, you know, America or the UK or Australia, uh, and a native English speaking country. And, um, and I think that can, that must be a real problem because you never necessarily know like who you're who you're hiring, like their qualifications might seem, um, you know, kind of low for what you're expecting, right? Yeah, it is, especially, you know, I, I always tell people when they're interviewing, <clears throat> education is a, a, a low paying industry around the world. Mm -hmm. You know, Americans always hear in the news, you know, teachers are protesting, they're going on strike or unions are rising. You know, it's not it's not the educators don't nearly make what they should considering the responsibility and the tasks that are laid before mm -hmm. them, uh, especially with the support, at least in America that they get is not, it's not nearly enough. So as I always say it's a low paying industry, even though it's an extremely rewarding one, but you know, financially on top of that, I happen to be in the younger learners market, younger learners, let's say one to, you know, elementary junior high. And not just an international school, not just at a, a, an English speaking school, but even uh, again, once a, a, around the world, those markets require less certification. So with that, in an in a, in a industry that's not known for making people rich, the, the younger learners are on the bottom of that scale, typically, mm -hmm. typically, because you don't have to have that master's, you don't have, like in the States, you you know, you can get your degree and then you can get your teacher certification and you can teach. 
Um, so that's what I deal with a lot. I deal with a lot of people that just, you know, happen to graduate. They have a degree in, you know, business, a lot of IT, a lot of different things, and they want to come to Japan. So they'll come over here and think they can teach just because they happen to speak English. So for me, most of the qualified ones that have that master's in education or master's in curriculum development or a teacher certificate, they're not typically coming to the younger learners market. They're going to go try to work directly for the board of education in the junior high or high school, or depending on the university, they can get some, you know, individual gigs and, and piecemeal them together. Uh, so that's typically what they do. So I deal with a lot of those ones that just have a degree and they want to come over. Those are most of my applicants. Great. So what do you do to motivate those kind of teachers then? Because obviously that's another problem, especially with international preschools, is that, you know, teachers will come for a year or something and leave. Um, and the parents don't like that, I think. And I, I notice that a lot with parents is yep. they like to have a more consistent, you know, at least while their kid is there. And then especially they like it if, you know, they have another kid. And, you know, often in Japan, you find the people who send their kids to international schools tend to have more than one. And then they want to send their, you know, Kato's little brother to the same school and uh, have the same teachers if possible. So how, how do you keep people on if they're maybe just coming because they want to be in Japan? Well, it's kind of a twofold answer if I can okay. remember both points, if I can get to it. One is we try to find people that are already, uh, you know, after we do the pre-screening, we try to get the qualified ones. Obviously they got, they have to have a degree. They have to have experience coming to us. We can't hire fresh non-experience anymore. There was a time we can do that and we could train them and develop them. But now um, we've reached the point to where we just can't, cause you know, we want to maintain the standard and the service and, is I mean, very challenging to as much as I come across some amazing people. But first, once we do the initial screening of experienced, degreed, you know, all those kind of things, we try to find some people that are here for long-term. Mm -hmm. Okay, That's number one, because if they're only here for a year or two, there's nothing that's going to motivate them except the intrinsic value or something they can get in return. There's not. So we're trying to get the people that do have a long-term plan. I, I love people that are married or planning on getting married or have kids or, or bought a house or have debt. I, I, I love people that this is their home. Yeah. Um, because the great thing is I feel at No Borders, we're able to do what, you know, some schools and school owners that I've learned from have been able to do, but not a lot of them can is actually provide a career. Mm. You know, I, I know hundreds of teachers that I've met and every year they're still checking out the website for jobs. Yes. And that's unfortunate. How would, you know, I couldn't imagine being, you know, unless I was in my young 20s again, but I couldn't be, imagine my age or even in 30s or late 20s wondering where I'm going to work next year or thinking I don't like my job. So I got to keep looking. That would, I mean, that would be a, just a terrible situation, especially if you're trying to make Japan your home and yet you still have to job hunt or at least keep your feelers out there. Mm -hmm. That doesn't provide much security. You know, I, you know, so we, we really tried to provide uh, a, you know, a career here to where if they come here, they don't have to look elsewhere, right? at least for, you know, a heck of a long time. And, and that's the one thing I always tell, you know, no borders is by no means. And I will stress this and I stress this in our interviews, because I am all about transparency. We are not perfect. Well, our head off, our company grew very quickly and our infrastructure and head office and HR is much smaller than it technically should be. Mm. It's still done by, you know, for example, this week is our school plays. 
you know, our kindergarten. So we rented theaters. We have these things going out. And yet as the principal and director of the school, I'm picking up the rental car, going to pick up the props and the trash and driving it around. No one's too good to do anything here. So we still don't even have the structure, the amount of staff that we should to help support our staff of 120 people. Mm -hmm. um, so we're not perfect, but we, we, we try to give somebody uh, a career path, which is why I lost my train of thought there, which is why people don't leave us. You know, we have people that have been with us 20 something years, 15 years, 10 years. Um, I have a lot of people, of course, that have been here two years, five years, seven years, but that's because as we've grown and added new lines or new locations, we've expanded. I think in all honesty, Charlie, in 10 years, I've had two, maybe three people, if I'm forgetting, that have left my school or our company and gone to another local school. Hmm. That's really I've had good. people leave. But because I have a great friend of ours leaving this week because she's finally going back to France because Corona has lessened or people have gone back home after they fulfilled a three-year contract or something. But mm -hmm. I've had, and actually out of one out of those three people after they did leave because they got another offer down the street, kid you not, following Tuesday was having coffee with me asking for the job back. Oh, wow. Um, and again, it's not because we're perfect. I mean, I know so many school owners in Nagoya, we we could drink ourselves to death going over our problems and stresses and things that we're doing wrong. But um, what makes us no borders is truly our staff and what we try to provide for them because of what they're doing for us. So you what know? should people be on the lookout for? If they're, say, for example, they're looking for a job, uh, they're on a jobs board and they see, um, you know, not only no borders, they see all of these different jobs um, for preschools, you know, dispatch companies, boards of education, whatever they're looking for. How do people actually, what, what are some, hints that people could find to see like oh this is a place maybe i can make a career at because you you don't always know until you get into the company that that's an option there so is that something they can know by looking at a job description or is that something that they should be asking about at the interview and doing their research on how would people know that stuff Hi everyone, I hope you're enjoying the conversation and I just want to take a quick moment to mention that this podcast is only possible because of the support of jobsinjapan.com. So next time you're looking for a job, check out jobsinjapan.com. There are tons of jobs on there, not only in English teaching, but also software engineering, hospitality, marketing and consulting, among many others. Most of the jobs on the board do not require any specific level of Japanese and you can get started in minutes. So next time you're looking for a job, check out jobsinjapan.com and let's get back to the conversation. Here's exactly what I say because I'm very routine in what I do especially after interviewing so often um, I, I tell people every company looks good on paper and every employee looks good on the resume mm. no 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 candidate's going to say yeah I'm pretty good honestly I'm, I'm a little lazy in the afternoons I kind of get tired <laughs> you know I kind of have a bad attitude right you know um, and no company is going to be like yeah honestly guys we're a little unorganized like I just said they typically don't. So I think it is intuition. You have to kind of tell when you're interviewing. Hopefully you have the wherewithal and kind of head on your shoulders to kind of get a vibe or a feel. But I would do whatever you can to go to the school, uh, meet the managers, meet the other staff. What we do is what a lot of schools do nowadays, and I think it's great, is we have them come. I, in fact, I just set one up about an hour ago uh, before I – met up with you and they come to the school and spend the day with us and i literally tell them you're there to observe be an active participant and i want you to see how we do things i want you to join our meetings at lunchtime we take them out we don't take them out to lunch but we sit down with them 
the other staff, no management, no assistant managers there. And I tell them to talk to the other staff. And I tell them, ask, do you like no borders? What's good? What's bad? How do you like Ken? Is he a jerk? Is he good? Is he bad? And we, we open those things, the good and the bad, because there is bad, you know, there's, there's no, you know, perfect, you know, company or school. Uh, I want them to know those things because like you mentioned earlier, nothing is worse for an international school than a teacher leaving two months into the contract. Yeah. Here's why that teacher will leave if they're not happy because people do that. Mm. But that teacher's job that he's going to find the only jobs that are going to be available into the school year are other companies that aren't good. That's why people left them. So I tell them, you're not going to get a good gig if you don't, if you have to leave and we're going to lose space to our customers and I'm going to go crazy trying to schedule. So it's a lose, lose situation. So I want them to come. In fact, one, two days even, uh, to really make sure again, especially when my people are being with us five, 10, 20 years, it's a, it's a great investment of time, especially for them. You can read a lot of reviews on you know, different websites such as Glassdoor or whatnot, knock on wood, we're not on there. But at the end of the day, those are just one person's opinion. We had two revelations mm-hmm. at, at No Borders, let's say. As we're starting to get bigger, we did have the people, honestly, and most schools do, unless you're uh, you know, like an IB school or somebody that requires, you know, the master's degree or whatnot. But we had the people that were here in Japan originally because they had the draw or love of something else, you know, anime, sushi, magna, you know, whatever, you know. Uh, so I had those, I inherited those staff members and I also hired new ones along the road. Not everybody was that perfect candidate who was like, I want to teach, I love children, I, I, I wish. You know, so most of them were that. You know, even the ones that once we got real strict in the hiring and had to have experience. Sure, I was getting teachers that had seven years international school experience at a, at a well-renowned school. Wonderful, hire them. But originally, they still came to Japan because of something else. Mm-hmm. They just got really good at what they did and had good references and decided to come to No Borders or move to Nagoya from somewhere else. So we got lucky enough mm-hmm. to hire those random ones. But still, the majority were not educators at heart. So once they got off at five o'clock or six o'clock, it was onto their hobby, onto their, their love, their, their ninja skill study or whatever it was that brought them here. It wasn't, hey, let's go home and grade papers or search YouTube channels on, you know, scaffolding and different pedagogies of you know, education, <laughs> right. uh, which I, I wish as if that ever happened. I mean, that's um, what I did when I was struggling as a, as a terrible, terrible teacher. Um, I, I went home every day and I, I read up on the internet and tried to find new ways to teach. And that's, you know, I, that was one of the best things I ever did oh, for my, well, where were you 10 years ago? I needed more people <laughs> like you. <laughs> I mean, I, I end up, um, I, I just got out of teaching this year, um, or last, last year now, I guess. Um, but, uh, when I, yeah, when I was deep in the thick of it, I was like, oh, I want, I wanted to know, I wanted to improve my teaching because I cared about the students and I wanted them to get the best out of me. And, and I know a lot of people who they just, uh, I mean, I've talked about this with uh, other guests on the podcast before where they'll find games that take up the whole class or as much of the class as possible just so they can burn the time. And I feel like that's such a great time or they'll justify YouTube videos and things. Yeah. 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 And so what we did, because, you know, luckily your old manager probably appreciated you going home and studying. I wanted to try to get the mindset. I used to tell people, I said, I want to take you, you're, you're at a bar, you're at, you know, what hub 
right? Mm -hmm. Everybody knows Hub. So you're at Hub having a drink and you meet another foreigner and you, you know, we want to make friends. We're a social bunch. And here's what I used to see in Barter. This is what I did. And this is what a lot of people do. After a while talking five minutes. So what do you do? They all do the same thing. I'm a teacher. Yeah. Almost as a joking matter because they expect everybody there to be teachers. Yeah. And right. it was really like, this is what I do because you know I'm speaking English. So therefore I teach English. Right. I never saw engineers do that. Mm. When two Toyota guys happen to be at a local Izakaya. Oh, what do you do? I'm an engineer. Right. No. They were professional. They were serious. Oh, I work at Toyota. I'm an engineer. Right. So I used to tell my staff, that's what I want to change the mentality. I want you to not have that cow. I'm an English teacher or whatever kind of blown it off, you know, jovial attitude right. to, oh, I teach, I work at, I work at no borders. I'm Ken. Nice to meet you. I work at such and such school. I teach English. I'm a, I'm an educator. Yeah. I'm this, I'm that, you know, I mean, educators pretty deep. I doubt they would say that, but I'm a teacher, right, you know, right. and say it with a sense of pride rather than that comic relief that I used to see thrown around on a nightly basis. I think it's also because in part it's because it's expected, you know, like I've had people, I've had Japanese people, um, you know, when they say, Hey, you know, where are you from? What are you doing in Japan? Are you a teacher? Like, <laughs> that's how they'll ask right. me. Like they assume it. And um, what's been really interesting is since I've been doing, you know, all of these other things, marketing and, and YouTube and all of this stuff is that I'm able to say, uh, you know, I, I work in marketing or something. And then, like, Oh, and it's kind of a different thing, but, um, but I, I did start to take pride in being a teacher when I started working for schools that I actually thought were doing really good work. You know, I, I told them about the schools I was working at and I was excited about the schools I was working at. And I think that's a really important thing. I don't, I don't like it when I, when I meet teachers who are not proud of the work they're doing. And I feel like, yep. you know, if you're not proud of it, think what the kid's feeling, you know? <laughs> yep. And, and again, that's what I, what I was going back to saying that some of the milestones that we had that kind of broke that mentality a little bit. Mm -hmm was you know four years ago about i was kind of like okay how can i kind of push us over the limit you know i can't give raises to 120 people every year what they want you know all the all the foreigners always like hey can i get another ichiman five thousand yen ichiman? you know and the and also if they only if we had the average turnover rate which you know in nagoya is like what three years i could do that mm. i could start them at the average rate Ichiman, 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 see ya, and then restart. New person, 27, 28, 29, see ya, and then so on. Yeah. But people were staying with us. And so we had to get the expectation, hey, guys, there is, you know, there is caps, there is this, you can't right. get after, <laughs> after 10 years, you're paying a kindergarten teacher 380,000 yen a month, and you're in trouble. It would be more than that even with some of our, you know, and uh, I mean, and I mean, they kind of get that, but so there had to be, uh, uh, an internal reward. It had to be things that just weren't monetary or this or that. Um, so I, I wanted to give them something to kind of believe in or understand or be able to bite into. Mm. And what I realized we were doing is we were training people for our curriculum. So we hire you. Here is our, whether it was the Akaiwa division or the preschool division or the kindergarten or the dispatch, No Borders has several divisions. We would get them in, sit them down, and have some really cool training sessions. This is the book. Here's how we do this. Then we'll do this game, and then we'll teach the phonics lessons. We suggest like this. We want to teach phonics using this this pronunciation. I mean, we, well, we'd break it down. You know, we'd have them observe and follow teachers for a few weeks. It was it wasn't great by any means, but it was a a solid training program. But it was just based on the job at hand. Mm -hmm. Four years ago, we said, well, 
how can I change this mentality? How can I get these people to be committed, to want to do better, to want to care about their kids' progress and results and actually seeing things, not just, okay, here's my nine to six, I'm out the door. And I realized it can't, like I was just saying, it can't be just through financial reward because I can't give them raises every year. And even that has proven, I mean, there's mounds of research how that just doesn't work unless you're in a very few industries like toy making, every toy you get 10 cents more or like sales where it's commission-based. Mm -hmm. But most jobs, if you just pay more, doesn't equal better results at all. So what, what can we do? So I wanted to see how to work. So I said, well, what if we had a, what I noticed most preschools, one, two, three, four-year-olds or you know pre-K don't have is let's set up like a, kind of like a pedagogy. Let's have a, a, a theory. Let's have a method. Let's have a philosophy for us and for our teachers that we could say, this is us. Hmm. Even these guys that just want to go home and work on their NSFs in the evenings or, or you know, like I said, their, their characters and drawings or martial arts. Let's give them something for those eight hours that they're with us to believe in. So we brought in a, I was friends through one of the organizations I'm with, a, a, a famous author who's written, you know, bestsellers all around, not just Japan. And he's a child psychologist and he believes in, in or not believes in, he teaches the whole child-centered method, okay. which is nothing new. No educator watching this is like, oh my God, what's that? It's a very common thing. It's what we all do pretty much, but most people don't know the, a lot of the background behind it or uh, the reasoning behind it or the, the deep city needs behind it. We understand, yes, of course it makes sense if you let the student teach the class more rather than the teacher talking for an hour, you know? But we said, what if we teach them? What if we make it no borders? You know, child-centered method is what we do here. Very basic, but give them something to own these people that have never been taught anything about education. They've been taught how to use this book, what to do after page 12, unit one, chant three, mm -hmm. but they've never been taught uh, philosophies on, on, on children and how their brain works and, modern, and the most recent brain research that's been done and social and emotional intelligence and things like that. So he said, let's start teaching that. Mm put the curriculum away. It's easy. Once they understand children and how they think, how they operate, how they learn, uh, how they respond. Once, if we can just, and these are guys that graduated with art degrees, let's say, but if we can kind of get them to understand that it is an exciting thing by nature, it'll take a, though, I bet you it was a gamble. I bet you. So we started doing this. We had trainers come in at the beginning of the year. We brought them in. They helped us design our curriculum and work it to where it was more interactive with the children. We started bringing in a a threefold philosophy on you know, social and uh, social intelligence, emotional intelligence, academic intelligence. So we started laying a, a philosophy, a pedagogy, uh, a belief system, like a church, if you will, for no borders of what we want to do with our children and just teaching that rather than the curriculum. And the teachers bought into it. You know, they, they kind of, yeah, just child-centered learning. They didn't even know what it was, but they were walking around, oh, we do child-centered learning, you know, mm. over time. It's so much to where after the second or third year during our, we have a two week period at the beginning of the year in March before the school year starts where it's training. Some of the teachers would be like, are we going to have another child centered learning again? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> but that actually got them to mm. realize and recognize when I'm up there, Oh, maybe I can try this method or do mm. this. It actually, because it was something that, and it kind of spread like a wildfire. Uh, teachers were talking about it on their own. So we had that, and now they began just by uh, 
I don't know what the word would be, but it, they begin to see themselves for the first time ever, not just in no border, but for the first time ever as a teacher. Hmm. And they didn't even know it. They were now practicing uh, modern teaching methods. They were doing things that, that trained teachers would do. Right. Where before it was, okay, guys, let's do sounds fun or sounds great or whatever the book was. Let's read. They were mimicking what they were taught. Yeah. Now they were applying principles that we were teaching them to, to better their career. And they saw the company investing in that, uh, not just financially bringing in the people, but time-wise and caring-wise and, and doing all these little tiny, I call them edu camps, where it's small little groups of people. And then they started teaching each other through panels and discussions. That became the new, the new norm. And that really kind of sparked, uh, fixed one problem of having people at least see themselves a little more. Some, it only helped 5%. Obviously, you can't get them all. Yeah. And some, it really kind of jump-started them, and they were asking me more questions. I even bought some of them books out of my pocket just because they were excited. So I said, yeah, I'll order you some books and gave them articles just to kind of support them. Mm. And that was one of the big things that we had happen within the company probably you know, three, four years ago. That's fantastic. So um, we don't have much more time. I wanted to ask you about what is changing education from your perspective um, in Japan, not only because of, you know, there's a, a lot of international schools here, a lot more focus on English, uh, even in, in public school education, but also because of COVID, like how has that affected uh, your ability to do what you're doing? And how do you think that's going to go forward and how things are going to change because of how much teachers have invested now in learning how to, you know, teach online or, or teach during COVID? So um, what do you see happening next? Well, <laughs> You say we don't have much time, and then you ask a loaded question like that. <laughs> yeah, as, just a, just um, a sort of broad overview of what you. I'll talk. I think I can summarize it kind of nice and neat. Let me try. If not, just edit out all the nonsense. Um, <laughs> Japan is very different. Japan is truly, not to mean sarcastic, but literally and truly like an island. You know, we always joke around how it's so so beautiful and modern in some ways, but yet you know we got fax machines and we're just getting debit cards and things like so. It's and it's you know behind the, the 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 learning curve in some things and ahead in the others, but the education market in Japan has changed greatly, especially since the the government, the Ministry of Education uh, and Science and Technology, the MEX, has you know lowered the the level to where they start English education now. So they've lowered it to lower elementary ages. Uh, so they put a huge emphasis on that. And as you know, in Japan, what the government does, the citizens buy into and, 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 and believe it to be good. So that when they started doing that, people started realizing, oh, wow, this is English is important. And honestly, too, not just with COVID, but with, and I know this sounds, I sound like an old man saying this, but with uh, globalization and social media and all these things, I mean, the world is just shrinking on a daily basis. Mm. It is, uh, you know, Japan's just as savvy as things. They're realizing English is a key it is important to have it. It is, it, it is the lingua franca for a reason. You know, it's what the, the world does business in and people want to get that skill. So the market is there. You know, we're getting, you know, our even with Corona, we've grown over the last two years exponentially. Our kindergartens are pretty much sold out at most school, most of our locations. Yeah. Our Saturday courses have a waiting list. And like I said, and I'll be very clear, uh, we're not the best school out there, man. There's many of my friends that have schools that do certain things better than us and we do certain things better than them, but they're fine school and they're the same. They're growing too. So I, I think it, it actually did the opposite of what we thought. We thought it was going to hurt us. 
And it did for those couple months we were shut down, but it actually boosted uh, signups and, and enrollees and, and new students, not because of Corona, but just that this whole time, everything was kind of timing with that. Um, as far as the COVID and the online, yeah, it, it definitely has changed education. It's changed everything. Look at you and I are doing a Zoom meeting. Yeah. You know, two years ago, I'd have been Zoom. I'm sorry, what's that? We would be on, you know, what Skype right now, probably. And I'd be trying to <laughs> trying to still log in or how to figure out how to do it, you know. Um, so, yeah, we do online lessons. Everybody's doing all, universities, I think, will, will be dramatically changed with having that option. I think for my market, it's not so much because you have to have that hands-on interaction. So I think up through, you know, junior high, elementary, probably even high school, not so much. I think uh, colleges will have a long-term effect where you can offer either, you know, synchronous or asynchronous classes uh, is definitely something that's going to be a part of the future with that. Um, so I think that's how COVID affected it. And I think the market though in Japan is growing. People are seeing the need for it. I think there'll be a lot more international elementary schools and junior highs coming up in the future. We're not, I want to focus on just what I know because I don't know a darn thing about first grade enough. And, and I like working with the, the little ones. Um, so, but the market's definitely increasing. Parents are realizing that they want it more and they want more than just the Akaiwa, you know? They want more than that one day a week for 40 minutes, 50 minutes or 80 minutes. You know, they're realizing the value of a, a and an they know that, that doesn't program. work. They know that it doesn't actually yeah, help kids to, to speak well. So um, I, I think a lot of parents are starting to notice that, you know, they've had their kids in an Akaiwa for seven years and like, well, he can introduce himself and he can, right. <laughs> he can say a few sentences, yeah. but he can't actually have a conversation with anyone. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I'm not knocking. There's amazing Akaiwas out there. As you know, I, I, we have an Akaiwa division. You know what I'm saying? That's huge. And, you know, and thousands of students, you know, so I'm not knocking that, but uh, I tell people that come to our international preschool or kindergarten, I say, I want to tell you one thing. We are not an English school. I said, when your student finishes here at the preschool at either three years old, or he finishes the kindergarten at five years old, I said, I don't care so much about their English level. I care about their social and emotional development, because that's the key at this age. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I say, so please don't come to me. Why is my kid not writing as well as this student? Why is my kid not speaking as well as this one? Why is his English? I said, those, I said, please don't take this wrong, but I don't care about those. I want to know how your child is uh, socially, how, how they respond to problems, how they respond to when they're told, no, you can't do that. Please don't they? How they do those things are the key because that's going to set them up for the rest of their life. That's the most important thing that no boards can teach them. So I say, yes, we have a full curriculum. We do all these things. It just happens to be in English. Mm -hmm. So you're not coming here to learn English skills. You're coming here to learn life skills. And I think that's one of the things that separates us from a lot of schools. Parents kind of, that resonates with them. Mm -hmm. You know, they like that. Um, I'm not trying to push, oh, look at this Aiken score. Look at this. Our students are speaking. Look at, he's quoting the the, you know I, I've never understood the the focus on academics at, at preschools um that's something that I really railed against when I was uh teaching that age because I, I had the same principle as you that you, you know the kids don't need to be doing that and there's there's no um actually scientifically there's no benefit um yeah. if you look I, I think there was a, a study this is like 10 years ago um now that I uh, I saw a study when I was teaching sort of six or seven years ago that was from the early 2010s and it said um in a long-term study, they found that kids who have academics too early at school, um, they have no better outcomes in academics when they're in uh, elementary school grade five, but they hate school more. 
Yeah. That's what it does. It makes kids hate school more. So don't do it. Just don't do it. That must have been why I hated school so much. I went to a, <laughs> a strict school growing up. Probably they tried to push academic. I mean, don't get me wrong. Unfortunately, we do have, you know, the business side of what parents' expectations. They do want to have their kid have a little, we got little books and we do have curriculum times. But I tell the teachers, that's not the focus. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's really work on that social and emotional development of the children and talk through problems work on things, explain things, let the kids figure it out, you know, uh, and we really do that. And we do balance it with academics. Um, not a lot, but, um, you know, cause I do agree with you, but I think that's really what, what differentiates us between a lot. We tell the parents and they, they honestly love it. I tell them we're a community here. You're not here to get results. You're here to develop, you know, and how can you measure development? You really can't. So don't, don't try to quantify what your student's going to graduate with. Right. His English skill is nine. His mathematics is 10. And I, you, what's most more important, important is... Yeah, it's more yeah. important to see like how happy is the kid, how yeah. how uh, how much do they like their friends, how confident do they feel uh, like with a, a foreigner in a classroom or at home or whatever it is. And and I still have um, good memories from, from when I was teaching. I had one uh, really difficult kid who I was warned about him when I joined the school. And that was like my biggest success as a teacher in my whole life. And that's what made it really worth it for me. That, that school was a, a, a struggle for me, but my God, was it worth it to, to see that kind of impact that you can have on kids. So yeah. I think it's really important. Yeah, it is. And, and that's what makes the job rewarding. That's what makes it great. And that's why, you know, I always want to stick in that younger learners. I love this age. Mm. You know, I love, I went to school today so and much. a girl, yeah, they ran up and she gave me a Valentine's Day thing. She didn't see me Monday. And I don't even know this student that well. She just knows I'm the principal. She visits, I, I visit them all the time. And she had this little thing, and, you know, and it was cute. And I, and I love it. It keeps, it keeps me young at heart, at least, you know, yeah. and it, it is rewarding. Yeah. I understand your experience. Yeah. Um, Ken, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. So where can people find out more about you or No Borders International School if they want to find out about that? Sure. Yeah. Check us out. Uh, just uh, www.noborders.jp. Uh, and you can find all of our information on there and check us out. If you have any questions, uh, just email us directly on there. We'll take care of you or check out our website. Yeah. I mean, uh, our YouTube channel. And people should definitely check. Uh, I mean, you have jobs on uh, jobsinjapan.com every now and then. So keep an eye out for those ones because like, you yeah, know, it we sounds do. like we it's a work. Quite a few openings this year. We opened up a couple new lines. And like I said, one of our friends is moving back to their home country. So yeah, we just got three new people through you guys. So thank you so much. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Charlie. It's been a pleasure.